back everybody to another day of the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Thursday. I want to start today with Carrie Lake and a crazy, crazy video that she reposted of one of her supporters, presumably, going in front of a Maricopa County uh, meeting, right, where citizens are allowed to go up and air their grievances. And this guy, I guess, thinks he's giving some incredible revolutionary speech or something. At the end, you'll see the beginning, he tries to stay calm and then goes absolutely nuts. So, and if I'm not mistaken, we've seen this guy before at one of these types of meetings in the past that went viral. But again, remember, Carrie Lake, the losing gubernatorial candidate, who's lost already, who's saying we gotta fight this till the bitter end, reposted this video, okay. Good morning. Once again, the eyes of the world are upon Maricopa County for another botched election. Am I here to accuse you of stealing the vote? Heavens no, for that would make me a terrorist, wouldn't it? Let me ask you, if you took your life savings to a bank and the teller put them in a machine and the machine kicked out one out of four of your bills and the teller said, don't worry, we'll put them in box three over here and we'll let you know how many were in there later. We'll send them off to a separate location and someone will be sure to get back to you and tell you how much money you have. Would you be okay with that? No, you, you following so far? would not be okay with that. Now ask yourself the question, which is more valuable, your vote or your money? Now ask a lobbyist that same question. Now ask a campaign manager that question. Now ask Mark Zuckerberg that question, which is more valuable, your money or your vote or your country or this world or the corruption that is taking over every single county in this nation? And then you look into your own soul and you look back at yourself in the mirror and realize that you are the cancer that is tearing this nation apart. Good day. True that. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Not at all. That's absolutely wild. So this is what we see, okay? Leaders such as Carrie Lake put out information knowing that it's false. She is perfectly intelligent enough to look into the details, the claims she's making, and realize that they're not accurate at all. But she benefits from her followers believing that the election was indeed stolen. And so she continues to perpetuate those lies. And then dudes like that take it seriously and aren't able to figure out why these are lies. And I genuinely believe, I don't doubt for a second, that he actually believes the things he's saying as outrageous or incoherent as they are. The few things I could even derive from what he just said there. And this is how we get in a very dangerous place. It was funny too, he was using like his, I went and listened to the top 10 most influential speeches from, you know, the 19th century YouTube video. And I, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> to learn how to give speeches like that is very strange. Um, so yeah, that's that. But Carrie Lake continues forward despite the danger of her previous uh, actions. And she's seeing, 
stoking that fear, causing the rage among her followers, when they genuinely believe, they don't get that this is all just a huge grift on her part, they genuinely believe the election was stolen, that's why Dear Carrie Lake lost, and that's why Trump lost, and when you actually believe something like that, you become very, very dangerous and threatening in many uh, ways, as we've seen before. But here's her putting that information out once again. Tens of thousands of you have reached out, pleading with me to fight this fight. Maybe because you told them that they were supposed to. That's another thing they'll do. I hear y'all's voices. You're saying you think it was stolen, so we're going to look into that. But they believe that because you told them that. Goof. Rest <laughs> assured, I will. Because if we give up now, we will no longer have a country. So that's very similar rhetoric there, and that's why I'm really worried uh, that Trump was using in the build-up January 6th, saying you won't have a country anymore um, if you don't fight this, if we don't fight this to the bitter end. Here is the victor of the Arizona gubernatorial race, Katie Hobbs, speaking out, of course, against these types of claims. Like, do you have a message for your opponent who is keeps spreading these election denial conspiracies um, much as you know the former president did she's doing it locally as he is doing it nationally that has to and that will also affect um, how you govern and your mm -hmm. legislative agenda I'm sure Absolutely. I mean, look, I'm not focused on what my my former opponent is doing. I'm focused on uh, all the things we need to do to get ready to to lead on day one of my administration. But this kind of political record rhetoric, um, these false accusations, they need to stop because many people across the state of Arizona and across the country are being misled by these so-called political leaders and their rhetoric is dangerous and it's leading to threats and violence and it needs to stop. Uh, absolutely. It is going to promote very dangerous actions, but do not fear. Katie Hobbs will indeed become the next governor of Arizona, despite the claims of many people. Last thing to add on to this close ally of Steve Bannon campaign with Carrie Lake, or I should say close ally of Carrie Lake, Steve Bannon, who campaigned with her and all these things is now saying that long lines are absolutely voter suppression. But wait, it was the left saying all of these laws that are being passed in Republican states to make it harder to vote, making it more inconvenient, are voter suppression, especially because they target certain areas that they think will help them politically. And y'all said, <laughs> long lines simply, you know, aren't voter suppression, <laughs> you sensitive liberal. Just wait in line if you want to vote so bad. And now they flipped their tune on this. Now, Steve. If you're really serious about this, then you should get on board with a whole lot of progressive action to expand access to voting and expand voting rights instead of restricting it. So, you know, people don't have time to wait three and a half hours or two and a half hours in line. And when they see it, that's absolute in your face voter suppression. So it's so ironic and it's so hypocritical because, again, Specifically in Georgia, when Stacey Abrams and the movement around her was calling out the bad uh, law that was getting passed, saying this is going to make it more difficult, more inconvenient for people to vote. One of the ways they do that is to try to enhance how many long lines there are in areas that vote heavily Democratic. Often they target black and brown communities for that purpose. And they would always laugh it off and say, OK, really long lines. That's voter suppression. And now that's their line, which is hilarious. 
again, unserious, all he means is boo-hoo-hoo, Carrie Lake lost, and that hurts my fifis. Mm -hmm. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Carrie Lake, guys, <laughs> also posted the most... <laughs> I made, made me want to vomit while I was watching it type video. Yeesh. Yeesh, indeed. <laughs> Towards Donald Trump. Guys, this is not licking his boots. This is removing your tongue and scrubbing uh, his boot with it. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty. Exactly. <laughs> Take a look at this video that Carrie Lake posted. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. If tomorrow I am asking you to choose greatness. It comes from again. China. That's why. I just want to say that uh, this is my honor. You are so lucky, Thank I'm my lucky so stars to be living here today. Mr. Trump. Yes. Are you Batman? <laughs> the greatest jobs president that God ever created. created. Gonna have jobs. I love this guy right here. Somebody said to me the other day, you're the most famous person in the world by far. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. I said, no. He said, who's more famous? I said, Jesus Christ. One nation, under God. We're all looking at the exact same thing. There are two camps that are seeing two different things. And I do believe that the people that are so entrenched in their negativity, they're led largely by emotion and they can't let go. The key is to separate the psychological effects of Trump from the practical results of his actions. That's how you're going to end up judging this guy. This is a phenomenon. <clears throat> what? <laughs> what is that? That's so strange. Can you imagine if someone did that for Barack Obama? That would make the right's head explode. <laughs> this is a cult, ladies and gentlemen. And Carrie Lake knows because it seems she's pretty interested in the VP slot if Trump does indeed uh, win or at least to be picked as his running mate in this 2024 presidential campaign. And knows the best way to get in his good graces is just mm -hmm. all over his behind. Um, and here's another example of that. She just recently took a little trip down to Mar-a-Lago and uh, gushed over Trump. Your favorite guy stood up on a stage right up there in beautiful Mar-a-Lago and said he's going to run for office again. And I'm so excited about that. Who's excited about that? There he is. And I will tell you this right now, I don't know what my future holds other than I'm gonna to continue to fight for this country, but I will do everything in my power to make sure this man gets back in the White House. We need him now more than ever. There's no other option. There's nobody better for the job. There's nobody who can get us out of this nightmare that we're in than somebody who introduced America First policies. And so I ask you in the coming days and months and weeks as we're hearing you know, the fake news media talk, 
that we stand up and protect and push and, and do everything we can to help President Trump in his move toward the White House. I will do anything in my power to make sure this man gets in the White House for our children's sake and for our country's sake. Are you guys with us on that? No, are you really with us? Are you really with us? to be here in the most beautiful place I've ever been, Mar-a-Lago, and I'm, I'm mm. thrilled to be here with people who are fighting for America First policies. The only way we get out of this... Okay, you get the point. So, the way she'll rise herself, in her mind, to another position of power, if Trump is to prevail, which we um, are fighting, hopefully, to prevent politically, uh, then... Attaching herself to him is, I guess, the way she hopes to do that. But it's a risky bet because right now she's clearly setting herself opposed to DeSantis if DeSantis is to prevail. Because we saw a f quite a bit of Republicans who were very pro-Trump kind of back off a little bit and not necessarily denounce him. We've seen denunciations as well. But some of the particularly pro-Trump people, Lauren Boebert is an example of this, are leaving their options open and saying, you know, I don't know, I'm not necessarily committing to DeSantis or Trump because they want to have the opportunity to be a full-on DeSantis ride-or-die person if he defeats Trump in a possible 2024 GOP primary. And so they don't want to rule DeSantis out, whereas Carrie Lake and Marjorie Taylor Greene, kind of the most wacky of this MAGA brand, are sticking right on with Trump, mm -hmm. which is an interesting strategic play uh, but we'll see how it all turns out. I have a few more details I want to show you guys from the shooting that happened in Colorado Springs. Of course, the LGBTQ nightclub, Club Q, where a man went in with an AR-style weapon, AR-15 style, and shot many people, 30, 25 injured, and five dead. And one of the details that came out of this was the fact that just random patrons there, normal citizens, intervened, tackled the guy, and prevented him from doing so much more damage. So that's the first thing I want to look at with you. Here's one of the guys who kind of led the charge at this gunman and, uh, you know, brought him down. The guy was there, and I saw the ACU pattern uh, flag fest. And for me, that was like, there's a handle, I'm getting it. So I ran across the room, grabbed the handle, pulled him down, and then started to, uh, well, actually, I think I went for his gun with him. His rifle flew in front of him. Um, and the young man that tried to jump in there with me, um, he, he, we both either pulled him down or whatever, but he ended up at his head uh, and right next to the AR. And then with the AR, he, we, I told him, push the AR, get the AR away from him. The kid pushed the AR. I, I don't know what his name was. Um, and then... I, I proceeded to take his other weapon, the pistol, and then just start hitting him at where I could, but the armor's in the way. And I just started, I found a crease in his, between his, his armor and his head, and I just started wailing away uh, with his gun. Um, and then I told the kid in front of me, kick him, keep kicking him. And we were, I was, yeah, I was guiding him, I was telling people, call 911, call 911. I brought him down. I, I, <laughs> I was in mode. I was I was doing what I did. I do downrange, you know. I train. I trained for this. I don't want to ever do this. I I didn't even retire because I was just I was done doing this stuff. It was too much, and uh, I I'm you know it came in handy and and I got to protect my my kid. I lost my kid's 
boyfriend. I tried. I tried to have everybody in there. I still feel bad that there's five people. That, there's five people that didn't come home. And this, this guy, I told him while I was eating him, I said, I'm going to kill you, man, because you tried to kill my friends. My family was in there. My little girl was in there with her. We are so sorry. So, um, we'll stop it there. But you absolutely understand that response. I mean, while yes, he prevented further loss of life, he watched before that moment as many people already were killed. And uh, it's horrible, but incredibly brave from his perspective that he did that, jumped in, and save people. So here's a little bit more about different individuals who survived this talking about their experience being at the club, uh, but surviving. This guy, the look on his face was full of hate. It was complete hatred. It seemed like he was firing from his waist. Uh, but I, it happened so fast. I. I didn't really grasp it, what was going on until I got shot in the leg. I took off running to the back and I got shot. I knew I got shot a few times. I fell down. He proceeded to shoot me. I got back up. I made it out of the back of the club. I got my phone and I called my dad because I, my, me and my dad are like best friends. It's really, really great, weird relationship. And um, he's always stood by me through thick and thin. And I, that was the last person that I wanted to talk to. We'll stop that one there. But um, imagine that having to make the decision of, I want to call someone because this is the last voice I'll ever hear and the last person I ever want to hear my voice and luckily he did survive but that was was what was going through his head and many people didn't make it through like him um before we move on to the last element that i want to look at from this i do just want to say it has to be continually reminded that this is because of the hateful disease we have in our country towards lgbtq people that is non-stop non-stop perpetuated by too many in specific uh, groups. Of course, we talk about politically in the right wing, it runs rampant. In too many churches, it runs rampant. And it has to be called out because this is what it leads to. Last element here that I want to talk about is Colorado did somewhat recently pass red flag laws, but it seems to be the case that it wasn't implemented either by law enforcement um, or maybe the family members involved, but it seems to be the case that law enforcement kind of dropped the ball on this, but we'll wait until more investigation is done to say for certain because he should have been subject to having his gun uh, taken away and his ability to get guns taken away. Uh, I mean, the key is we are seeing the, the LGBTQ community paying with their lives for all the hate and bigotry we're seeing everywhere, especially on the social media. And... So things like the red flag laws are efforts to try and bring the, the community together, the country together to say, all right, what are things we can do to try and make this 
a safer environment. And obviously, the implementation was not uh, perfect in this in this circumstance. Far less than perfect. It was a you know a failure by any measure. But it doesn't mean we don't have to continue to try and let's put the politics aside and figure out how we can make our our country safer. Yes, and this is Democratic Senator John uh, Hickenlooper, by the way, from Colorado, talking about that. And it definitely is the case where this highlights again how we need to have better systems in place to prevent people from getting guns because this guy did get the gun legally. And it's one of those things where anytime you talk about legislation relating to regulating guns, people say, well, criminals won't care about the law. Well, if you make it more difficult, number one, for them to get it legally, a lot of them aren't these mastermind criminals. They're just unhinged people with hate in their heart. And so they just wouldn't know how to get that mass weapon of war um, that's designed to kill as many people as possible. And it would prevent which weapon they're able to get. In this case, he wouldn't have been able to get legally the gun uh, that he got. So hopefully as the investigation goes on, we see what went wrong there as far as the red flag law um, and how that can be improved. But then also just incredibly heartbreaking as you learn more about the individuals affected by this and how, again, the hate that caused this is so prevalent. I wanna focus in on right-wing media's role in all of this in regard to the shooting that occurred at Club Q in Colorado Springs and how it is so obvious that because we have this acceptance of deep hatred of LGBTQ people within certain spaces, namely in this conversation, right-wing media, we've also talked about how, while not all, um, too many church settings as well, uh, I want to focus in, like I said, on right-wing media and how they play a role in perpetuating these lies. So the overarching kind of uh, summary you have to get from this is that what they're doing is saying that the LGBTQ community, or sometimes they'll say gender theory or the LGBTQ agenda is grooming children. That's what they've said time and time again. And one of their favorite terms is groomers. I saw an analysis recently about how many times some of these right-wing politicians used the word groomers on Twitter. And what they're trying to do is connect, whether it's the LGBTQ community or they focus a lot on drag queens and try to say that these groups are, they have the motive of grooming children. And what is so dishonest about that is twofold. Number one, what the quote unquote agenda of LGBTQ people is, is to promote people being able to live as who they are. That's the agenda. Boom. I exposed the big secret. Mm. The second part is that you genuinely don't care about the actual problem we have in our country with child sexual assault. Sometimes I'll talk about child sex trafficking with grooming, with all of these different specific uh, children related sexual abuse scenarios and situations. You don't actually care about solving that if you're trying to pretend like the root cause or even the association that people should be making is between people who want to be themselves and a horrible act of heinous violence. They're trying to connect that because politically it stokes a whole lot of fear and rage when the people who for decades so many in the right 
have been deeply weirded out by, afraid of, disgusted by, if you can point at them and say, they're the ones coming after your kids. You get a level of rage from your average listener or viewer that you probably couldn't get on any other issue. And we understand that rage, anger is one of the best ways to motivate people, whether it's to donate to you, to watch your show, to go do certain actions. Anger motivates people more than anything else. And so they're using that fear, that hatred towards LGBTQ people that's already there and adding on the layer of they're coming after your kids to cause incredible harm. So here's a little bit from Media Matters, and I'll show you a bunch of examples of this. For months, anti-LGBTQ account Libs of TikTok has used Twitter to publicize the locations and organizers of drag events while spreading salacious accusations of what might happen there. Recent segments on Fox News have claimed that drag queens are a part of a plot to sexualize children. Ben Shapiro of The Daily Wire has positioned drag as a threat to civilization, while his colleague Matt Walsh compared drag shows to cancer, calling for an aggressive approach to fighting it. Media observers have warned about the dangers of his unchecked rhetoric, the consequences of which are increasingly evident and dire. Boston Children's Hospital was targeted with another bomb threat last week after being the target of a right-wing fear-mongering campaign over its provision of gender-affirming care. At the start of November, as we covered on the Luke Beasley Show, a donut shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma that had hosted a drag event was targeted by an arsonist. He threw a Molotov cocktail into a donut shop for hosting a fun event. I, I honestly want some of these right-wingers to just go to a drag show and realize it's not what you're being told that it is. Mm. Just like a fun, you know, happy-go-lucky type event. Okay, now we have to listen to this stuff that is going to get me so angry, but um, here's a lot of these types of lies and misrepresentations being spewed from Tucker Carlson. So let's say you were interested in sexualizing children, and unfortunately some people are, what would you do? You might have a drag queen story hour. If you don't see that as teetering on the edge of losing... Sorry, this is a compilation of multiple. We have a number of different things from Tucker, but this is a compilation of multiple right-wingers. Civilization, then you and I just disagree. Pernicious and sick drag queen story hours. Libs of TikTok, one of the most informative accounts on Twitter, and because it is so informative, it keeps getting banned. Adult male... Uh, putting on women's clothing uh, and dancing and talking about sexual themes with other people's children. Drag queen story time. Don't want them in preschool teaching them to twerk. Why would any parent allow their child to be sexualized by... Okay, again, can't even go any further with that, but um, what they're connecting is grooming and the sexualization of children, which is a real problem, and drag queens which again, I think the distinction should be made on occasion that LGBTQ people, the drag queens, two separate groups. I've seen multiple times in the conversations about this, uh, someone mixing up one of the victims or people who survived the shooting at Club Q, who uh, was getting interchanged drag queen for trans woman, two separate things. Um, but they are connecting both in this conversation around grooming of children and how it's the LGBTQ agenda to put drag queens in your house. That's what they're trying to do, ladies and gentlemen. Holy smokes. Here's Tucker Carlson saying that as a parent, why wouldn't you go in and just thrash the teacher? 
you know, some teachers pushing sex values on your third grader? Why don't you go in there and thrash the teacher? You talk to an old person's kids about sex in kindergarten? You get beaten up, you should be beaten up. Please. Again, connecting the real problem of sexualizing children to the fake problem of mentioning you're gay. Mentioning, hey, guess what, people? Trans people exist, gay people exist, so many different types of people exist, mm. that's just a thing. And they say that that, the uh, uh, simple mentioning of it, is talking about sex, you're sexualizing them, which is absurd and it takes away from the real problems that should be addressed that have nothing to do with the identities they're obsessing over. And then, here's just a quick compilation of how obsessed Tucker is with trying to make this connection. Anderson Lee Aldrich committed mass murder because you complained about the sexualizing of children. Sexually mutilating kids. Sexually mutilating children. The sexual mutilation of children. The sexuality of children. People mutilating the genitals of children, running ads on Instagram promoting kitty porn. Kitty porn. Kitty porn. Kitty porn? It's an endorsement of kitty porn. They are not doing it for a scientifically defensible reason. They are doing it because they believe in a very specific religious ideology. That's true, it's happening. It's absolutely real, you're not imagining that. The more times he repeats that I promise this is true, it's facts, this isn't fake, it means it's definitely fake <laughs> and not facts at all. And you've seen all of this, but again, there are kids in elementary school who get sexualized, who get groomed, mm. and that needs to be absolutely addressed and the people partaking in that need to be held accountable mm. uh, in you know the fullest extent of the law pretending like there's some left-wing lgbtq drag queen agenda to sexualize children gets people hurt because it's a lie um here's the last thing i want to show you in regard to this an individual who survived the pulse nightclub another one of these lgbtq nightclubs that were shot up uh talking about this very topic imagine uh what your thoughts were when you saw the news um that this has happened again uh, in another city just like it happened to you and your friends i'm just going to let you give us your reaction yeah thank you joy uh and i'm i'm angry tonight i i'm angry because this is what we warned would happen this is what we warned would be the inevitable consequence of unmitigated unbridled hate in this country now you just saw what's been happening for the last few years. Right-wing grifters, including politicians like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, they've been spewing this vile, hateful rhetoric about LGBTQ people. They've been trafficking in some of the oldest, darkest tropes against our community. They've been accusing us of posing a threat to children simply because we exist on planet Earth. And we warned them that inevitably this would result in violence, but they just couldn't help themselves. They couldn't help themselves from crafting one more fundraising email or hitting send on one more grotesque tweet. They couldn't help themselves as the temperature around the country continued to rise, as young people told us that life was getting less and less safe for them. They couldn't help themselves as armed protesters started showing up at drag shows across the country or when white supremacists were being arrested outside of pride festivals. They couldn't help themselves when children's hospitals in Boston and other cities were getting bomb threats, having to install airport security terminals to keep people safe. They couldn't help themselves when a donut shop was firebombed for daring to advertise a drag show. And now five people went to a space that was supposed to be safe for them, a space like the one I knew well at Pulse Nightclub, and they came out 
in body bags. Dozens of people were injured, scars they're going to carry forever. An entire community was terrorized. They paid the price for this short-sighted, cynical, and sinister hate that these people have been pumping into the ecosystem. I am angry because I am tired of asking, of begging, of screaming and scratching and clawing for people to just see us as human. See us as your yeah. family members, your neighbors, your friends. Please, I am begging you to treat us with a basic level of decency and respect. I'm angry because we deserve to live. Those people mm. deserve to live, Joy. Absolutely could not have said it better myself. And it really does hit you, you know, um, the way he framed it of going in to be safe, to in many cases celebrate that part of who you are and then leaving in a body bag. And all of that because of a hate that is not just some fringe idea. It is not just a one-off. It is not just something that is very rare. It is part of the platform of much of the Republican Party right now and the obsession of right-wing media and this is what we got this is what we got and that has to be remembered every single time this conversation comes up it looks like we are so close so close to an indictment of Donald Trump uh, specifically in regard to the federal investigations into him. Of course, you have the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation, but then also you have the attempts from him and his allies to overturn the 2020 election, possibly being illegal. And that one is the one that I think is so, so important that he's held accountable for because it does have the largest ramifications for the rest of time. We are gonna look back on this in history and say, was the guy who attempted to stay in power unconstitutionally, even though he lost an election, held accountable for it? If not, we're gonna see it many more times in the future, um, I can promise you. But here's someone responding to the appointment of the special counsel, Jack Smith, by Attorney General Merrick Garland, giving uh, credit to Jack Smith as the right guy to be doing this job. So I know Jack from uh, having overlapped with him in the Eastern District of New York, where when he started, I was actually the chief of the criminal division. Uh, he is a smart, incredibly tenacious prosecutor, knows his way around the courtroom. And I think he's going to be particularly adept at knowing sort of what to follow and what not to follow. In other words, really focusing people on what's important and not letting them get distracted. So I suspect, although people are worried about delay caused by the appointment of a special counsel, I think ultimately this is going to lead to the investigation speeding up because that's the kind of prosecutor Jack is. So I did. So he's believing, while some people are criticizing this as slowing down the investigation, it is actually going to speed it up because Jack Smith will be very efficient with his processes. I am getting the feeling that this is a preparation for an indictment and many legal experts are saying the same, that this indicates we're very close and kind of getting the ducks in a row for the optical moment that is going to have to be considered when a former president who's currently running for president gets indicted by the federal government. And that is why Attorney General Merrick Garland decided to appoint a special counsel to remove himself from the investigation directly because he, of course, is appointed by Biden. And that's 
going to look political to many people for sure. But it looks like Jack Smith from a lot of people I've read uh, their perspective from he's the right guy for the job, which is good. Then you have uh, one guy I want to show you on MSNBC saying, I think Mar-a-Lago is an open and shut case. And so we could see that indictment coming down. There are a lot of people, including a lot of our viewers, who are really upset with how the Mueller investigation turned out in the end. There were certainly a lot of successful indictments that were brought, but not against uh, you know, some of the main higher-ups, including Donald Trump. Uh, the fact that that didn't happen in Mueller doesn't, to me, say anything about what would happen here. These are very separate animals, and Mar-a-Lago is, in my mind, an open and shut investigation. It is, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that if I did this or you did this, we'd be in jail right now. We certainly wouldn't get a special master or a special counsel or prosecutor or the like. It would be a very easy case. It's not that different and it's just the identity of the person, Donald Trump, that makes it different. But at the end of the day, I expect that uh, Donald Trump will be indicted by this special counsel. And this move to appoint a special counsel, we can debate its pros and cons. I do think it's going to take a little more time than it would have otherwise. But ultimately, I think we will get to the same result when it comes to Mar-a-Lago. Which is what we're hoping. Uh, and I do agree. What we joked about, I think it was on uh, yesterday's show, is when you think of criminal cases this is pretty simple right okay the law says you can't have uh these types of properties of the government and the government specifically the national archives specifically requested multiple times that you turn over the documents you said okay you gave some of them they said wait you still have more you said nothing <laughs> completely didn't comply and then they raided your residence and found the document they were looking for. That's so sick. How they're saying this is a huge political witch hunt. <laughs> How? Look at the law. Look at what Trump did. Cross them over. Mm. Real easy and simple. And I agree. It does seem to be a uh, close and shut case or open and shut case or whatever the phrase <laughs> is. <laughs> um, and that's good news. And hopefully we will see Trump indicted in the very near future. But I am concerned... Not that this should affect the Justice Department's actions, but I am concerned with what that will mean as far as the response from MAGA. Donald Trump has had another bit of very bad legal news coming his way, which is that the Supreme Court has denied his request to block a congressional committee's um, attempt to obtain his tax returns. Now, if you know the timeline of the tax return debacle, you know that this has been going on for so long. In the 2015-2016 campaign, there were so many moments where he got asked, why aren't you returning or uh, giving up your tax returns, showing the people your tax returns, as is tradition from presidential candidates, at least a certain number of years of your tax returns to show people everything's on the up and up. I'm a good citizen. And he kept saying, I'm under audit. And would repeat that over and over and over. I'm under a, a routine audit. But then people came out and said, wait, you don't have to keep your tax returns secret when you're under an IRS audit. You could release them still. Nah, 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 he's under an audit. And then the 2020 election came around. Surely he's done with the audit by now. Nope. He kept saying he was under an IRS audit. And then again, that doesn't prevent him from leasing it, but whatever. <laughs> and then now we're all the way to 2022. And um, one of the committees in Congress 
is looking into his tax returns and needs them, obviously, for that purpose. And the Supreme Court was his last chance to have this be prevented, and they sided against him. So we are finally going to probably get to see these tax returns that he has worked so hard to prevent us from seeing. Take a look at this getting announced on CNN. Big loss for a former President Donald Trump at the hands of the Supreme Court today. He had tried to get the Supreme Court to intervene to block uh, his tax records from, uh, from going to the Democratic-led House Ways and Means Committee. President, former President Trump had lost in lower courts. He had gone up to the Supreme Court saying of all the requests for documents that had been going on uh, during his presidency and since, this was the worst request, he, he said in his filing, because it involved his personal tax uh, returns. The Supreme Court today, in just a two-sentence order, said no. It's denied. There were no recorded dissents, including from any of the Trump-appointed justices or any of the other conservatives on this uh, very conservative court, unanimously, at least on paper, uh, against President Trump. Again, there might have... Okay, we'll stop it there. Very interesting. And from what I've read, this is his last chance. And it actually will get turned over to the Ways and Means Committee that is Democratic-led in the House of Representatives, and the expectation is someone gonna leak it, and we're gonna get to see it as the public. Here's this on uh, Forbes, Foreign President Donald Trump's tax returns will be turned over to the House Ways and Means Committee, the Supreme Court ruled Tuesday, thwarting Trump's years-long efforts to shield his tax returns and raising the possibility they could become public as he launches his 2024 uh, presidential campaign. Now, what I've said before on this, is let's be frank, let's be real, let's be honest with ourselves. Whoever is still supporting Trump, will something whack in his tax returns change their opinion? Usually I would say no, especially for the hardcore MAGA people. Maybe some people in the general election, if he got the Republican nomination, would be upset by number one, he definitely hasn't been paying his taxes. We saw a little report about that um, from particular years where he paid almost nothing in taxes, but also he could have very fishy business practices that we'll get to see from that. And I do think that could ups upset some people, but again, at this point, how could you not already know how um, low character, how shady a lot of his business dealings were? Um, I don't know, but seems to be the case that people still don't know a lot of that type of stuff about him. But if you're talking about the MAGA people, even something crazy coming out of his tax returns will just be deep state propaganda in their minds. So don't hold out any hope for that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> for our podcast listeners, uh, Ben, Ben the producer. I'm trying to think, do you like producer Ben or Ben the producer better as your title? Producer Ben. Producer Ben. Uh, producer Ben just gave the most annoyed look at the deep state conspiracy because the great thing about a deep state conspiracy is it centers around the idea that this cabal is so powerful that it could really control and manipulate anything so you can never be proven wrong because mm -hmm. any amount of evidence you can say clearly you don't know how the deep state works <laughs> the deep state can fabricate that so it's uh, so frustrating yeah there it is. He'll have to turn over his tax returns, and hopefully in the near future, I'll get to report on what the heck is going on there. It seems to be the case that there's going to be, or at least 
there is the threat of a very near future strike from uh, the rail workers union, which could cause pretty significant economic ramifications. But we will look at this um, a bit here. So Yahoo News reports rail passengers face disruption in the run up to Christmas after the RMT union announced more strike dates. Industrial action will be held across four 48 hour periods on the 13th and 14th and 16th and 17th of December and the 3rd and 4th and 6th and 7th of January. Services have been severely disrupted in recent months as the row over pay, working conditions and job security has continued. But the RMT said the latest strike action would send a clear message that the wor uh, workers want better. Its members at Network Rail and 14 train companies voted last week in favor of further walkouts. Um, as we talked about with the rail workers union strike that was being threatened and was about to happen a few months ago, this would be hugely devastating economically, but I want these workers to get better conditions. So hopefully the leveraging uh, from their perspective works and Biden was able to thwart the initial threat bought a few months, but now it seems to be the case that it's coming back. Here's CNN diving into the economic effects this could cause. That the biggest and most powerful rail union have voted down a tentative contract deal. And if the two sides cannot reach an agreement soon, there might be a strike, which industry officials have estimated could cost the economy more than $2 billion per day. Freight rail obviously makes up a huge chunk of the American supply chain. And a strike means that food prices could skyrocket even more than they've already been raised because rail is absolutely crucial in getting those products to consumers. Even gas prices could increase given 300,000 barrels are moved daily by rail and about 75% of all cars and trucks built in the United States or imported here are also moved by rail. That could mean a big shortage and massive price hikes. And if you're a commuter, you might also be in trouble because nearly 97% of passenger rail used by Amtrak actually runs on freight lines. On top of all of that, the holidays are obviously right around the corner, meaning the strike could come during peak buying season. So joining us, workers at the... Okay, um, that is concerning. Both fronts matter. The workers ability to use the union which is the reason you would have a union to get better working conditions but then also the effect it could have on millions of other working people if this indeed goes forward and uh those supply chains those um transportation situations are messed up significantly that would be very bad here's transportation secretary pete Buttigieg addressing this you talked earlier about how important unions are in the world and in, in the American economy, will the administration support the rail workers if they strike? Well, look, our goal right now is to make sure that doesn't happen. And we're urging the parties to get to the table and to do whatever it takes to prevent a shutdown. Uh, a shutdown is a scenario that is not acceptable. We got through the worst of the days in terms of the shipping backlogs. We've made headway on trucking. Uh, but if we don't have a healthy, functioning, strong rail system, I mean, can the American economy deal with it if it happens? It would not be good. I mean, catastrophic. We don't have enough trucks or barges or ships in this country to make up for the rail network. Right. Um, and what's tough from the perspective of Joe Biden specifically, but also Buttigieg as Joe Biden's transportation secretary is Joe Biden did promote himself as a, um, an extremely pro-union president. 
And so it's tough when you have a situation where one of the unions in the country that you support their union um, action of trying to get better working conditions for the workers, but you also fear if the other side doesn't agree to the terms and both sides can eventually come to some sort of agreement that this is going to cause horrible situations for people across the country who are affected by that type of strike. And so it's a very fragile situation. Last time, it was right in the nick of time that the, uh, that the Biden administration and the union and the companies involved came to an agreement. And so I do expect it'll come down to the wire, but hopefully we don't see the strike happen, not because they're able to union, you know, uh, shame enough, but because some agreement that is good for the side of unions prevails. But I am pretty fearful of this because as was highlighted in that CNN segment, going into the holidays with the problems we're already having with high prices, if this causes prices to go up even further, that's very bad and something to be feared. I want to talk a little bit about something that Senator from Arizona, Mark Kelly, said and a piece that Mediate put out about it and kind of the larger discussion within the Democratic Party that I think should be had about this subject. So it's all centered around the border. And because Mark Kelly understands a lot of his citizens, uh, because Arizona is on the southern border, are concerned with that issue, that the Democratic Party isn't properly addressing this. And I'll say kind of as a disclaimer or as an upfront um, spoiler, my position on this is that the Republican Party's stance is completely substanceless. It's completely empty. They don't actually have a solution other than some of them who just have horrible, evil intentions towards migrants that believe literally that it would be justified to just be killing them as they're coming across. And so that is not what we should be talking about when saying the Democratic Party needs to have a solution to the southern border. What I mean is a lot of people who don't even have that bad stance on immigration are just saying it, something seems a little bit broken with our process because the border's hectic, right? And so we need to have a good message that is more than what the Democratic Party currently does, which is kind of just ignore it, but instead say, here's what we're doing to try to address the border. That is focused on the humanity of people, but then also the further, you know, uh, flourishing of the United States and its citizens as, way, as well. And my way of doing that is through a much better and more efficient legal process because the reason we have so much undocumented immigration is because of the uh, bad legal process we have. Mm. But the reason why that legal process has not been improved is because many in uh, the Republican Party, I would say almost all in the Republican Party as well as some in the Democratic Party, don't like the idea of making our legal process more efficient because they want to fear monger about immigrants being horrible. Um, here's this piece from Media. Arizona Senator Mark Kelly, who won re-election two weeks ago, reflected on the state of the Democratic Party and offered some tough love in an interview with the Washington Post. Uh, Karen, is it Tumulti? Published Monday. Tumulti, a columnist, columnist and the deputy editorial page editor at The Post, asked Kelly directly what he thinks are the, quote, lessons for other Democrats going forward, especially when it comes to what it takes to win in hard places. Kelly, who many see as a leader of the Democratic Party and a possible future presidential contender, replied by telling Tumulti that he campaigned everywhere and didn't ignore Republican strongholds in the state. 
this is one of the things he said, when you're running for the United States Senate or any statewide office, you've got to go and talk to everybody and talk to them about things they care about, whether it's the cost of gasoline or especially in Southern Arizona about the border, which is a crisis. You can't ignore that in Arizona. It's been chaos down there at times for decades. Now, the reason why that's notable is many Democrats, I would say almost all Democrats stray away from using a word like that crisis. Now, how you define crisis, whether the border falls into that is completely subjective. But I think recognizing that people, not just super, super fearful of immigrants, people, maybe just perfectly modern Democrats, whatever, understand or progressives that something isn't right with the way we manage our southern border and something's causing it to be much more um, unorganized and setting up a situation where it can be pointed as at as a problem right and so we have to do a good job of both confronting and debunking the lies that the republican party tells about the border while also offering up good solutions and mm -hmm. so we covered recently marjorie taylor green her favorite thing to say is joe biden's opened up the borders and that's why there's so <laughs> much fentanyl but then we looked in the specifics and said wait that's weird you're saying that more immigration or more undocumented immigration, or as she would say, illegal immigration, is to blame for, um, for the fentanyl rise we've seen. But the way that fentanyl comes across our border is through legal ports of entry and U.S. citizens doing that process. Okay, so you don't actually care about the problem of fentanyl. Oh, I see. Okay, you just wanted to attack Joe Biden by immigration. You just hate immigrants. Now I got it. But from the perspective of the Democratic Party, we got to do that part. Number one, you're wrong. And then offer up a solution that is better than the one that they are proposing or the lack thereof, <laughs> proposal-wise, from them. And that's how I think we prevail. And so it's the same thing with crime. We've talked about in the past how... It's so strange that the Democratic Party strays away from talking about crime and lets the Republican Party just pummel the fa their face in about it. Because when you look at the top 10 highest violent crime or homicide, one of the two states in the United States, eight out of 10 of them are red states. And you look at all these different specifics about Republican governance over Democratic governance. And so often these statistics shed very poor light on um, the, the Republican Party. And so why not fight on these issues, advocate on behalf of the correct position instead of straying away from them. So mm. if that's what Mark Kelly's advocating for, then I'm on board. But uh, just simply recognizing it's a problem is just part of it. Then you have to propose a really good solution. We're continuing our tour through past interviews I've done with Trump supporters. And today we have a very fun addition for you, okay? So this is going to be the Young Trump Supporter segment. And I went to CPAC and just happened to run into multiple very, very young, teenage to early 20s type Trump supporters, which is more rare because less people are very Trumpy who are young. Young people are a little bit more progressive. And so it was fascinating to me. The first uh, woman I talked to was someone who clearly misunderstood a lot the talking points she had been fed, right? Um, and that was made so clear in this moment here. And what do you think uh, the biggest failures of the Biden administration have been? Oh gosh, a lot. <laughs> um, well, 
he says that he has done things when he hasn't, such as contributed to border security. Um, I think for one thing, you know, our president is Biden, but I, you know, there are other people who are actually running our country, not him. Um, and I think that a big thing, um, he said when he was running that he wouldn't defund the police and he's done that and I think that's a huge reason why we so see so much crime today I think that Biden has defunded the police where well I mean he hasn't defunded them but he's defunded a lot of the police mm. and because that is done on a citywide level not the national that's level true. that's true that's true um, but I mean overall I think that this is the scariest times that we have lived in so Okay, the, the thing that got focused in on was defunding the police, but the federal government doesn't defund the municipal budget of a police department. So how is that something that has to do with Biden? And she go, no, you're right. That's exactly right. But still, all hell's breaking loose in America. I can't think of a different thing, but um, which was interesting to say the least and i'll remind you if you're a long time viewer and you're thinking i've heard this before yes we're going through past interviews i've done because we got a lot of feedback that people love these interviews mm. and until i do my next rally which hopefully will be soon ish um we're walking through some of these past interviews next guy says that his parents <laughs> what his parents got investigated by the fbi for january 6th um that comes at the end of the interview but uh here's the beginning Okay, so we're outside CPAC, and you're about to walk in. Who are you hoping to see, or who are you most excited for? I am excited to see Trump, for one. For two, I also uh, am excited to see Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon? Steve Bannon. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, since you brought him up, I, I, this wasn't... Uh, Steve Bannon mm -hmm. was pardoned by Trump, right? What he was pardoned for was defrauding... Um, like donors because he was saying I'm building a border wall, wall and he wasn't actually doing that he was uh, spending it on like personal stuff that's why Trump had to pardon him I don't understand because there's so many people within the conservative movement that I understand why you'd support them they believe your things but they like directly defrauded the people that they now are uh, hoping to support them like how do you forgive Steve Bannon for that you know I still just listen to his um, his podcast so does my mother yeah so okay he said Steve Bannon was one of the people he's excited for, which confuses me a lot about why right-wingers like him because Steve Bannon defrauded MAGA people, said we're building the border wall and then spent that money on just personal bougie stuff and scammed them and then came around and said, listen to my podcast and they said yes. So strange. Okay, the interview continues. And I just really like the way he speaks about issues, and I think he brings up good points regarding um, politics, for one. Generally, based on what you've heard from the January 6th committee, what is your sense of it, and do any of those facts make you less uh, positive towards Trump? Well, actually, my mother attended um, the January 6th, and it's bad. People are still locked up over it. Um, my family actually got investigated by the FBI for that. Um, and they were just attending. They weren't had nothing to do with going into the Capitol. So that was interesting because one of the things at this CPAC, it was in the midst of the January 6th hearings really had been ramped up. And I was just so fascinated. Do any of y'all care that he tried to stay in power? I guess you believe the election was stolen. So, 
But I even got one person to admit that they didn't actually think the election was stolen, but they didn't care that he tried to overturn the election results. <laughs> Whack. Uh, last one I'll show you here with another one of these young Trump supporting guys who definitely seemed a little confused. So I hear most people feel like even a lot of liberals blame Biden for gas prices going high up. Now we've seen two months of pretty historically fast drops in gas prices. Do you feel like it's something you should give Biden credit for uh, watching them drop? No, no, I do not. Um, I feel like he's, uh, he's using our reserves and uh, uh, using our reserves to drop the gas prices and to, um, trying to find the word here to basically uh, fluctuate them just for a short period of time then I think they'll end up rising right back up to where they were. Um, have you kept up at all with the January 6th committee hearings and kind of looking into yeah. what led Jan because you think it's kind of stupid or what? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I just really don't see too much of a point in it and that's it. So riddle me this okay if you're on the left and you feel like biden won the election you look that's what the courts figured out that's what um kind of our official again you'll have to remember i want to have a conversation if i just go in hard um you won't have that so um if you're on the left and you see that all the courts indicated <laughs> biden won and all the investigations and all the audits and just let's just say that's the case <laughs> how would you feel <laughs> processes certified and then you see through these investigations that trump was doing everything possible to try to subvert what we would consider the rightful will of the people based on the election results and uh overturn the election don't you find it pretty reasonable that, that would be super scary and regardless of if you even if you were conservative you'd expect people to be against a president who tried to reject the election uh, not necessarily with with all of the uh with all the stuff behind the, all the election fraud, I feel like um, I think he has every right to uh, say that it was not a fair election. Even though all the court cases didn't find that? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. You think it? Yeah. I think it's a little bit corrupt, and I think our government's a little bit corrupt, and I think uh, they really covered it up really well, and yeah. So I okay. hear, uh, so I will say what's so fascinating about this is this guy actually had a lot of curiosity. So once I finished the interview with him, he kind of started asking, so explain what did you mean when you said all the court cases are blah, blah, blah. And we kind of had a back and forth that was pretty reasonable. And uh, I walked him through why I have come to the conclusion that the election was not stolen based on all the election uh, evidence and all these things. And he walked me through why he believed and it was kind of everything we've heard before, but it was fascinating because perfectly reasonable, normal, chill conversation, but the subject matter of the conversation is you believe that literally Joe Biden and all these people somehow manufactured this massive, never done in US history, incredible opt to steal the election in our incredibly intricate, and localized and complex election process. And I believe that that didn't happen, but we're just kind of casually tossing that back and forth. <laughs> it's very, it's a strange experience, I can tell y'all for sure. So there it is, and we'll be coming out with much more segments with many more past bonkers interviews I've done.
Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. We'll see you tomorrow.